Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Their Pitch is a women's football podcast in collaboration with Adidas Football. Welcome to the final Euro episode uh, of their pitch where we're doing this post episode to just wrap wrap it all up uh, our thoughts our feelings facts uh, you know everything um I'm I feel kind of drained myself and and with me uh, I'm Mia as usual I have uh, Willie Kirk Willie how are you feeling after this tournament Yeah, obviously, from a being based in England point of view, it was just the tournament that, that England put on and UEFA put on. I thought was fantastic. The level was the best we've seen from a like a number of teams, and obviously to have a home a home winner is fantastic for the English game. So selfishly, I'm delighted about that, even though I am Scottish. I was still delighted with an English an English victory. Yeah, you can you can be proud of this as well. I I do think um, we also have two guests uh, as also as usual. I I must say, and I'm very happy to to say welcome to Jesper Haglöf uh, again. You were with us for the preview episode, and then we have Per Lagerström. Uh, and Per, tell our our. <clears throat> Per, tell our listeners uh, who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Great to be here. I'm, I'm listening to all, all the podcasts, so it's uh, great to, to have maybe I have something to say. I'm, uh, I describe myself as uh, extremely interested in, in uh, football. I've been a football coach for, I think, uh, around 20 years. The last two years is the, uh, is the, is the only two years I didn't have, have been a head coach for a football team. But then I continue working with football. I work as a technical expert for, for UEFA, working with developing, uh, women football over the world in, in countries that's, it's not that developed. But I also work as a, uh, expert commentator via play that broadcasts the Swedish Obos Sanskan. So uh, at, at least I have some football in my life. And I've been following, of course, the Euros very closely. I think I've seen more or less. Every single game, actually. Yeah, and we're, we are obviously very happy that you wanted to join in on this episode because uh, I do think that you will uh, bring a lot of interesting thoughts into this. Uh, Jesper Gothenburg, good morning. How are you? Are you cold because you have a shirt on? It's summer. Yeah, good morning. Uh, yeah, I'm a bit cold. I don't know. I just went out for a walk for this and then I came in and uh, started working again and I felt a bit cold. But the temperature has uh, just dropped. So I don't know if it's something about that. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I'm, I think I will get warmer. This is a message for all of those uh, who are listening to this podcast. Don't go to Gothenburg during the summer because it's often very windy and cold, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't agree on that. I think that's the uh, best place to be in the summer in Sweden. It's very cool. 
but uh, I guess the climate is a bit more British than maybe eastern part of Sweden. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very common among Swedes to talk about the weather. So now, now let's leave that and uh, go into <laughs> into the good stuff, uh, the football. Um, Jesper, you were with us for for the preview episode, as I mentioned before, and you presented your data simulator result before the tournament. So I'm feeling, I, I have a feeling you are quite happy about yourself at the moment. Tell us about it yeah. again. No, I was, uh, I'm very glad that it uh, worked out fine. So uh, I I simulated the, the euros with my simulator that I built uh, during the pandemic uh, year. Uh, and it's basically a simulator that uh, uh, works that it uh, takes all historic data from uh, the teams and then it uh, weighs the different how good the team is compared to another one and uh, then it simulates uh, highlights chances with the xg numbers and uh, if you simulate for a very long time it will uh, convert and give a likely outcome on the tournament and uh, yeah it it had uh, england as the winner uh to 25 percent and england won so uh, i'm very glad that uh, yeah it turned out that way for that simulator was right all the time. Um, then also um, in the quarterfinal, it had six out of eight teams right. It thought that Norway would uh, go to the quarterfinal. And uh, it also uh, thought that Italy would uh, meet Sweden in, in the quarterfinal, not Belgium. But uh, all the semifinal teams were four out of four. And uh, then in the final, uh, it predicted France playing uh, England and not Germany. Uh, but yeah, you could also see it as uh, that the, the tournament was pretty, had a pretty likely outcome or like the, the favorites uh, did their job and uh, there were no quarterfinal or anything like that, that turned like uh, out the unlikely way. Like, um, like if uh, Belgium would have beaten Sweden on penalties, even though Sweden had a lot of more chances. Yeah, that would have been a complete nightmare. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but Willie, predicting a tournament and and um, as a coach and an expert, I'm gonna ask you this question as well, Pat. Um, we always predict and and you know how likely something is, but um, being in England, Willie, how the feeling before the tournament? How was it? Did did media and everyone in the game think that England was going to be the winner? I think we hoped England would be the winner. Uh, I don't know if we truly believed it. I I believe that they had the best chance they'd ever had. Uh, but even going into the final, I was only predicting England because it was in England, and we'll talk about it later, but the momentum they've built up with the supporters and the whole country really get behind them. So, yeah, I think there was always a hope that we could win it. Uh, I know that the FA have put a lot of funding and effort and time into this. So from that side of things, they've got what they've deserved. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I predicted it would be Germany, Sweden or England. So, I mean, I went with three teams there. I don't know if you're allowed to present three teams. <laughs> but they got to the semi-finals, so I'm quite happy with that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think everybody got, as I said, this has been something that's been building for a number of years in terms of 
growing the game and the game we'll talk about this later but how they've went about it and slowly built it and 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 we've got success now but that squad could get success for the next six years really yeah, and Willie just said something here, Per, that was quite interesting because he said, uh, obviously, we hoped that England was going to win. Uh, we had sort of the same hope for, for Sweden in this tournament. So it didn't turn out that way. Um, so let we can talk about Sweden here now. So we, uh, what do you have to say about that and Sweden's performance and the outcome? Uh, I think it's pretty interesting. I think it's two perspectives. One perspective is the last game, and that's what you have in mind, and also the results, uh, four against zero against England. That's, of course, that's not something I would have expected, that they could lose a semi-final final with that results. And also when you have uh, the second half in mind, that's the last uh, uh, 45 minutes that play. And then uh, in that, that 45 minutes, we didn't have a, a chance, actually. And... That good. I don't know if, if if England was that good or Sweden was that bad. But my in my opinion, Sweden maybe played their lot, not the maybe the the worst four to five minutes since Yaras um, on a weekman took over. But that also have to do with uh, how the game went. They have this very tough two 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 zero goal uh, early in, in the um, uh, in the early minute, and then they 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 tried, but. We didn't have the chance, so that's that's of of course for me a bit surprising that we lost with those big numbers. But you, if you evaluate the whole tournament, I think actually sometimes the Swedish media and maybe also the fans has been too criticism criticism about the Swedish team. We still won a pretty tough group. Uh, you went through um, the the quarterfinal uh, pretty easily, even though the result was tight. But just look at uh, the game and how 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 many chances we created. And for for a Sweden team to achieve the semifinals and be top four and just compare with those other countries, I think that's that's more or less well done. But it's the last game that you need to think about. And I don't think we get the answers until the World Cup because. It it, it creates some questions of how good is Sweden and how good are the, the other big three in Europe with Germany, England and France. I still think Sweden can be there again and can come to the final. But I think we need to play maybe the Swedish way of play and the other teams will find their way to play. Yeah, it's it's very interesting you you mentioned these things because we have discussed this uh, on this podcast before. Uh, but Jesper, you, you, your uh, simulator actually took in that England had uh, the home advantage as well. And as Willie said, uh, I mean, it felt like the English fans also grew in uh, in this tournament. Um, so uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if uh, New Zealand and Australia will rise Um um, of that support as well next summer because we are entering a new like world uh, with fans um, within the women's game as well. Um, so you you have to you might have to take that into consideration when you do your next the simulation, Jesper. Yeah, yeah. I hope the simulator has improved by them, and it's going to be really interesting to see what it predicts in in them. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But let's talk about England because we have to talk about, about this England team. Um, will it, just from a footballing point of view, not 
nothing about uh, home ground or anything, but but why did Sarina Wichmann take this this England team to to this trophy? First of all, it's the best squad that they've ever had. Never before has England had probably, I think, 30 players that you could choose from. Any 23 from that 30 would be a good squad. And then I think almost any 11 from the 23 would be a good team. It then sounds really silly to say that because Serena never made one change to the starting lineup. So she obviously seen her strongest 11, although that strongest 11 caught everybody by surprise because everybody thought Alex Greenwood would play and everybody thought Leah Williams would play midfield. And it actually opened up, for me, one of, not the player of the tournament, but one of the players of the tournament is Georgia Stanway. I think her tactical flexibility was massive for England. She would drop in to become a double pivot when she had to, when they struggled to get out. And I think the the first half against Sweden, they, they never got a lot of success from their build, but then the second half they did. Uh, towards the end of the first half, they got more success. That's when Georgia Stanley started dropping deeper. But then it was games where she could be right up on the edge of the box and be the 10. So I think, I think Georgia's tactical flexibility was really crucial. Uh, and, and the consistency of the starting 11 was really important. I listened to a podcast last week about consistency and how it runs throughout any success in life, not just sport. And, and I spoke to my staff on, on Monday about it, about anything we do, we have to be consistent with it. And Serena Wigman was a, has been a huge, uh, a huge example of that. Netherlands, she only made one or two changes when they won it. England, she never made a change. Even her substitutions were consistent. So I think that start was huge. It made it made sure that the players were very clear with what she was asking them to do. Uh, and there was tactical tweaks during games, uh, going into games. But it's a lot easier doing it with the same players than changing tactics and players at the same time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's like you said, even the the substitutions, you know, uh, who would come in if if the players might struggle a little bit, and, and then okay, now here comes Ella Toon for Fran Kirby and and Alessia Russo for for Ellen White. But Jesper, you had a, a favorite player before the tournament in England, uh, Lauren Hemp. Um, and you have watched the Euros as well. So what do you have to say about England and, and your, do, do you still like Lauren Hemp? Yeah, of course. I still, uh, I still love her. She's a really good player. But yeah, I think that to Lauren, I expected her to conquer the Euros a bit more, like, uh, score some more, uh, points and that the end product would be, uh, yeah, better. But I think st- she still did, uh, good Euros, but she, she didn't lead, uh, England. It was more, you know, Stanway and Walsh and uh, Beth Mead, other players that uh, took that role. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm very impressed by England. I think that one of their strengths was that they had like so much depth to their squad. So like when they needed to change a game, they could uh, put on new players as uh, Russo and uh, Ella Toon and uh, yeah, Chloe Kelly in the final. And like they could really contribute. And it feels like they had like, um, well, every player had a role and they knew exactly what to do uh, in the game. And they didn't like become, 
uh, that desperate either. Like against Spain and Germany, like when they were about maybe to lose the game, they came back. So um, yeah, that's really impressive. Per, who st- who and what stood out for you uh, in this England team? Uh, for me, it's the, it's the coach. It's, it's a lot, of course, but it's it's the coach Serena Wichmann and how she handled it because. I, I agree a lot with with, with, with Wilde there, but about the consistency and how she chose the team. But just remember, before the tournament, when I, as an expert, tried to evaluate how they should play and which play should start, it was pretty difficult. But that's for me the art of coaching. What she did, she she also. It's not about just have the consistency. It's also to choose the right player to start with. She chose to she chose to play Williamson as a defender. That, that, that's for me art of coaching. Uh, it's, she, I was a bit worried about the the three person midfield. How will they handle that? That was that was not a problem at all. They were brilliant. And Kira Kira Walsh, how she played the tournament was fantastic. But she played it with two other players, uh, also with Frank Kirby, that started every single game together with Stanway. So for me, that's that's so much art of coaching that she. She she chose to play before the the championship. She had a plan in every single game, and I also I, just just think about yourself. But you you play a final and you have Russo like she's so hot. She can score and ever go. You can start with her, but I think that's the art of coaching. She I, th- I think she's better when she comes in in the game. She might not be ready to play ninety minutes in that ex- hysterical tempo that the final will be to have that. Uh, I, I think also the strength to to follow what you believe and have a plan for it. I think you need to have done it before, and she has a, she actually have done that. So I'm extremely impressed about the coaching capabilities. We know about the England offensive, but if I add something more, it's also their defense from the midfield, but also in their own penalty box. It's it's. I think this has been. Uh, That'd be brilliant there, more or less the whole championship. So uh, it's a lot of things to be oppressed on. Now, when you mention that, because I agree uh, w- uh, with the fact that England's uh, defense have probably never looked so solid and calm uh, in a way. But this situation that that was uh, in the final, where it wasn't that calm uh, and uh, the ball, from what it looked like on the TV, uh, hit. Um, Leah Williamson's arm or hand or whatever, uh, because uh, VAR has been uh, a talking point um, throughout this tournament. Um, Will it? Do you think that VAR has has like? I'm I'm trying to find this, the English word for this now, so bear with me. Um, proved uh, to the football audience that watch women's football that VAR um, increased the quality of uh, refereeing? I, th- I think so. I think you've got to say statistically it has. Because if you look at how many decisions got changed after the VAR, that means the correct decision was made more often. So statistically it has. Because, I don't know, say... 90% of the decisions were correct. VAR gave us an extra 3 or 4%. So, you know, yeah, I, I think it has. I, I still think there's a lot of improvement to be made. I think the timing of the decision can be quicker. I think what decisions they choose to look at and not look at can probably be refined, and that, and that can be better. But without a doubt, it's, it's improved it. 
but yeah, I think there's there's more improvements to make. You know, I think the red card in the France Italy game. Yeah, I think I think yeah. I mean, you can still argue if that was a red or a yellow, but I I think it it turned the red into a yellow, and I think that was a great decision. But I can see why immediately the referees went, "It's high, it's reckless, it's a red card." Okay, I'll get to watch it six times more. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a yellow. So it's been good, but it can be better. Yeah, and and also obviously it's a very much emotions uh, during a final, and then I mean. Not sure where we are ever going to find out uh, what they saw on that video um, with with Leah, Leah's uh, hand, but that that caused uh, a discussion uh, after uh, for Germany as well, of course. So it's um, what did you think when you see saw that pattern? I, I think it was humble. I think it should be a penalty, and uh, I still think. W- War is something that we should should have, and that I don't think we can go back from it. But I don't think it has been good enough. Actually, it's has been too many decisions that's unclear. And I think it's maybe it's about and of course all refereeing, even war, is 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 difficult. But then then I think you need to have transparency and a bit of communication. And if you don't have a, a an image or a video in the right angle, you need to be honest with that, and you need to, or, or you can also have made mistakes, even that you are refereeing the war room you can do mistakes and you can think about yeah we could have done that i think the transparency should be a bit higher and then you can explain that okay we this we, we did this decision about that but of course uh it's all it's, it's very subjective in all decisions that's why i want more about that and i think that's also something to EFA to have in mind that please communicate a bit more show all the images and that because we will never be 100 right or wrong that's refereeing even though we have um, better pictures now. So I don't think it has been good enough. I think the right way to go, um, but uh, I think it needs to be improved to the next championship. Yeah, uh, it's going to be an interesting thing to see how how that part of the game uh, will develop as well. But go, I, I want to touch on the fact that y- you say art of coaching. Um because I, I I usually think when when watching a game, okay, how is the coach gonna react or act if things doesn't go uh, his or her way? Willie, how good are coaches nowadays uh, with the in games coaching or like? Because you often, I I think when you watch game that you you can't see clear changes if if things yeah I, th- I think there's a lot more detail goes into it pre-match i think a lot of teams are now prepared to make changes and it may be one word from the coach it may be a quick conversation from one coach to one player and that player then changes things on the pitch i think scenario scenario based changes are a lot more common and teams are I think I think first of all players need to have that mental capacity and it's only now you know these players used to work from nine till five then go to training so you know their heads are already full from work and then they have to go to training and think about scenario based changes on the pitch that's just crazy but now that they're full-time professionals you know they have got that mental capacity and I think Teams are so much better prepared from video analysis, uh, even even from 
uh, from coach paint and things like that, you can show players what you want in certain scenarios. And having these pictures and having this technology and, and the time with these players makes a big difference. So yeah, you're right. We don't we don't actually see it because I think it's done very subtly and a lot of it's done pre-match. Uh, I am sure I am not uh, the only one who laughed uh, when Alessia Russo tried to read that the, that note that was handed to to the German backline <laughs> there in the in, at the end of the game. It was quite funny, you know. <laughs> you could really see that she she was trying to okay. What what have you been told? But uh, but let's talk about Germany as well because I, I do feel that we were not surprised by them reaching the final, but yet the world were in some way, but it's Germany. Um, Pad, what did you think about this German team in this tournament? Uh, I think I was very impressed from them from the start. I think they started, they were extremely well prepared, which you were expected them to be, but also all the players, the young players, they have been a couple of years older and a lot better. And also, it's also back how they for, format the, the team and Sometimes it's it's about the art of coaching, and sometimes it's about uh, opportunity that's created. Just re- realized that Alexandra Pop she didn't start the first game. I wonder what, what what was the plan for her. But then she she won she lets in and she scored, and then we know the journey from her. And that's is that coaching or is it just something that happens? But when it happens, then it's coaching to to take that opportunity. So, so I think that the, the team are extremely well prepared. I'm extremely impressed about the defenders and the central midbacks. They I think they handle it brilliantly. Uh, they have a, a, a strong midfield. That, that, they were extremely good team. Very very well balanced both offensively and and uh, in defense. And they extremely tough to score. So it's a good team and also a team even though that Alexander Pop she, she's old but a lot of other players they will be just better and better, I will see the coming year. So I think I think we'll see Germany more finals, and it's just one year uh, to, until the World Cups, and they they will be absolutely one of the favorites. I would say. Yeah, Jesper, how much are you looking uh, forward to the start of the Frauen Bundesliga after watching this uh, German team play? A lot, yeah, a lot. It's going to be really interesting. They have um, so many players to like. Like I really. Uh, Fell in love with the playing style that Lena Oberdorf provided. Like she was, um, yeah, she was just so dominant on that uh, central midfield in like conquering the ball. And so, uh, and uh, they have such a young team, and I think they will get, yeah, even better. And uh, I think that's going to be a challenge for, yeah, Sweden, for example, like with England and Germany both having very young, young and uh, good teams. And I uh, like to, Yeah, be able to stick in the top and uh, challenge them for the coming years. Yeah, and both England and Germany got... Uh, England was ob- obviously home, so they didn't get a warm welcome back when they <laughs> returned with the trophy. But uh, Germany, um, the, the the pictures from Germany after they had returned was very... Yeah, it was very, very nice to see. So, I mean, we've we've already seen the after effects um, of England winning in England, like the open letter that the, I, I think it was the FA, right? Uh, together with the players that, that wrote this the other day. And Per, what do you think that other countries and nation can, can take advantage uh, from, um, from this Euros 
with, with the waves that just crashing over Europe now. It's fantastic. And of course, it's a lot of role. The, the whole England FA is, is a role model and what they have investment. I think you need to, you need to go back a couple of years. That's, I think, what the big learnings when they started to invest in their women's super league and they, the FA, they said that this, this need to happen. We go first. And from, from after the FA, the companies follow. They have a large sponsorship in that. And that has been a project that has been going on for, I don't know, but at least five years. And I think even years before that and that's the big learning that it takes investment and it takes time to make change but when now when the, the change is coming you can you can of course lead on that we can see the the it's uh, i think that we'll meet the us on wembley it's it's, it's uh sold out once again but the good thing that's actually that things are happening all over the world at the moment the Afcon that was played in Africa, and I think it was re- record uh, audience, and, uh, and there are forty three thousand in the final. And also, I know my old colleagues uh, Pia Sundag and Lily Persson, They were playing in Colombia, and actually won the title. They said that even in South America, it's, it's, we're not there yet, but things are happening. It's more crowd, so I think everyone needs to, to to use the opportunity now. But for me, it's about to show that if you invest in 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 uh, women football. The results and the, the, the you can give you have something back, and that's pretty obvious now. It's just not you don't you don't do it for to be fun. You do it because it changed the whole country. It makes everyone interested. It's also a commercial investment, I would say, when you succeed. Uh, and then I have to ask you because you're Swede and you work with Swedish football a lot, and you comment uh, on the Damalsvenskan as well. Uh, what what do the Swedish FA together with um, the elite organization for women's football have to do to start? It's a very, very good question. It's something I thought about for years, but I think you need to start working more, even more together that the Swedish uh, FA together with uh, elite football uh, for women, that organization for the clubs, uh, maybe, maybe together also with UEFA as an organization with the big country that's leading the game. Can they have all of all of these three organizations have things uh, that they invest in different things? But I think they need to do it together and, and choose something that this is the right way to go for Sweden. In England, there was the league. I think the league is and the clubs is where it started. So I think a lot of the leagues, but also if you th- think about how you can get paid for selling players from from the education fee, but you need to go together and make, I don't think you can do small investment just here and there. You need to choose something and you need to do it together, strong organizations uh, and maybe also the men's side, maybe start working together. And that's what we're seeing is when the big clubs working together now, just not, once again, not not just to be nice, just to see that this is the how the how the world should look like, but also it will be a commercial perspective, and that needs to be starting now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, in Sweden now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. But but Willie, you're about about or already has entered 
the world of Leicester Football Club and uh, as a women's football director, how are you planning to to you to ride on this Euro wave? Yeah, the, the, the club, the club are certainly. You know, I probably won't have any direct influence in terms of how we capitalise on it, apart from focusing on the pitch. And of course, there are ways I can do that. You know, I did it at Everton and I'll do it at Leicester is capitalise on the fact that everyone wants to play in England. You know, and if these leagues, if these other leagues don't step up and make make the league more professional and put more investment in, more and more players will leave these countries. And I, you know, I've, all, I've always, I've always uh, went to the Scandinavian market because it's really, really good value because I know that their league probably doesn't pay them the money that our league does. So I can always get a Swedish player cheaper than I can get an English player. Uh, so And that will continue to happen. But I know that certainly we have sold at Leicester. We have got a 50% increase on season tickets. And there's still four and a half weeks till the season starts. So every club across England is, is getting this. And, you know, 50%, the, the relative numbers might still be low. You know, but we might have went from 400 and something to... 600 and something but it's still a 50% increase and if we can keep that momentum going those numbers get bigger and bigger and bigger so uh, yeah I think every club in England has has recognised the opportunity we have and it is about every other league across Europe trying to do the same because as Parr says this is this is happening all across the world now it's it's Yeah, I I still uh, wait to see um, the Swedish league, the organization, just one sentence in their marketing about capitalizing on what's happening in women's football right now. Um, I, I I might be a bit harsh now, but I do think that they they leave it up to the clubs here alone to to promote um, people coming to watch women's football and I don't think they never I've never seen uh, the use of what's happening around the world they they are just so focused on on Sweden and even I mean I've even heard clubs say oh no we can't market ourselves in Stockholm because then we steal the audience from Stockholm to to the town we we play in and I'm like yeah but whatever <laughs> so what I mean we go to England to watch football why can't English people come to Sweden to watch football but that's another question let's leave it with that but you said uh, something that we we can touch on this because you said it Willie Swedish players uh, seem keen to come to England and um, a couple of days ago it was reported and this is not confirmed uh, news it's just a rumor still but um Aftonbladet in Sweden uh, reported that uh, Swedish national team player Johanna Rittenkanerid is on her way to Chelsea and uh, Jesper let's start with you here uh, what what do you think uh, if this is true Um, about Johanna Rittenkanerid going to Chelsea and play well, there. It's a it's a very interesting move. Like I really like her as a player. Uh, we worked together, and I did some analysis on on her and comparing her to Hemp. And like she's a 
she's a player that can uh, create this uh, dual threat in the offense that she's very good in her carries and also like uh, creating uh, danger for the opponent team by passing the ball. Uh, what she needs to improve maybe a bit is uh, her finishing. What I think about the Chelsea uh, move is that I'm a bit surprised by. I don't I don't see her like the obvious starting position for her in that formation. I'm a bit worried that she will be put on the bench. It depends on like how they're gonna use her. Like I think in advantages that she's played as a winger in Sweden national team and in Hecken, but like if you um, look at where she's doing her action and she has a very free role in Hecken, like she's uh, moving a lot towards the center zones and in the penalty area. So I think she she could be used as more uh, attacking midfielder or uh, in the center, or like you could uh, put her in, in the end of the games and use her as a striker if you need to find that goal. But yeah, I'm a bit worried that she won't find her starting position in Chelsea. And and Willie, uh, you said it before, like uh, you you touched on the subject, we're not going to go into that. But if you play in, in Sweden, for example, and then you, you get an offer to be paid more money in England, and then obviously Johanna Rytten-Kanrid for us in Sweden, she is the best player in the league uh, at the moment in, in Sweden. But uh, the fact is that Chelsea does does not have uh, obvious similar players to her. Uh, what what could that mean uh, if if she ended up playing for Chelsea? Yeah, I mean, it just makes Chelsea even better than they already are because <laughs> it's one, one thing they haven't got that they're now going to have. Uh, I, I do think she'll be an impact sub. I, I don't see where she starts in the Chelsea team. I really like her. I thought she had quite a disappointing Euros in terms, but some of that's around the team and the way they played. But yeah, I she needs more consistency on her final delivery and her finishing. But Chelsea will Emma will definitely use her as an impact sub without a doubt, and she will. She's a, a little bit like Hayley Razzo. Exactly. She's very she's very similar to Hayley Razzo. Yeah. So could be a coach's real frustration, but always tempting to throw on for the last 25-30 minutes. I can reveal that when I used uh, the Transfer Lab tool to just pick out players that were similar to Johanna Rytten-Conrad, Hayley Razzo was the... She was 99% uh, similar to Johanna Rytten-Conrad. Uh, so, but but Pat, as a, you you have followed the Dalmansvenskan very closely, um, where do you see Johanna Rittenkonrid uh, at Chelsea? I, I think she put, I think she's as best as an offensive midfielder, maybe starting from from the right or, or from the left, and do a lot of runs with the ball and take take her in in the penalty box. I think the good thing with Johanna, also coach her couple years, that she's doing the same things. In, it doesn't matter which team she played in. If she, if you played in a youth uh, national team, she do it. If she played in Rosengård, if she played in Hecken, I think she will do the same thing that she's good at at Chelsea, and that will be interesting. Uh, I agree. I don't think she might be a starting player, but if it's for the one year, I think this journey could be extremely uh, important for her because I still think she will have chances. And when she played in a, in a good team as Chelsea, they have players in the box, they have a lot of ball. She, she will have the opportunity to do her things a lot. If, if you think about that, I thought about, okay, should you play in Liverpool, a newcomer, and she may play every single game, but they need to defend. So I like the way that it's a very 
dominant team. And it's just about she, she needs when she would give the chance. She, I think, she, it's up to her to take it. She will do the things she has always done. And of course, if it's gone one year and she has not the starting place, then she can think about her career. But one year Chelsea and and, and just try to to have that uh, to, to start at first eleven. I think that would be extremely good for uh, Johanna Rittenkanner actually. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because obviously, also we've talked about this on this podcast as well. Is the fact that uh, this ahead of this tournament, the Swedish players uh, in the national team did not play as many minutes as they did ahead of the Olympics uh, or even uh, ahead of the World Cup. So, Willy, how important uh, is regular game time um, for a national team player going into a big tournament? I, I think I think for the majority of players, that was highlighted, this tournament, with the difference between Sweden and England. You know, I think some players can get away with it more experienced players who find their rhythm up here rather than finding their rhythm physically. So, yeah, I think it's been a massive issue and I'm sure some national team managers will give that even more of a thought than they did previously uh, and will be a little bit nervous when they see players going to big clubs with 24, 25 top, top players and wondering how many minutes their player will get. Yeah, I think Kosovar Aslani was probably the perfect example for what you just said, that she has the experience and she has the head for it, even though she hasn't played a lot in Real Madrid this season. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see her upcoming season with AC Milan as well. But let's end this episode now with Jesper, you have uh, your data again uh, with the tournament's best 11. Let's just go for it. Yeah, and I thought I would just explain it very shortly uh, to those who listen and for you as well. So uh, we use this algorithm to uh, take out the best 11 for uh, yeah leagues in general. And it, what it does is that it finds um, every best player on every position and then it tries to fit the best team according to a formation. And But uh, the weakness is, for example, if you have the two best players in the league playing at right winger, it won't take the second best player in the league because there's a better right winger. So, so what we don't want is like three central strikes in a three-man offense. So, if you understand what I mean. So, if we go for the team, the best goalkeeper uh, is Nikki Evard in Belgium. Uh, she had a start, like a great game against Sweden. Did so many saves, and she should have conceded so many more goals. Uh, and yeah, I'm sorry for the pronunciation of some players here. So well. we, uh, we're here to butcher the names now. Just go for it. The backline. Uh, right back is uh, Ona Battle or Patier uh, from Spain. Uh, and centre backs are Millie Bright from England and uh, Mappi Leon from Spain. And the left back is uh, Sakina Karshawi from uh, France. And the midfield? Yes, the midfield is uh, centre mids. Uh, the two in the back is uh, Kara Walsh, England, and Lena Oberdorf, Germany. And uh, an attacking midfielder uh, with uh, Francesca Kirby. And then in the front, we have uh, Bethany Mead on the right, uh, Clara Biel on the left, and uh, Alexander Pop as the central forward. 
And before you le- we let you go, Willie, what do you think about this 11? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's that many complaints about it. I think it's very close to the UFO one, isn't it? Yeah. Very close to the UFO one. I think maybe Nick Everard. Yeah, and the centre-back pair, it's it's not the uh, same. You know, the centre-back pair, I would always have Leo Williamson, but that's not just statistically. That is the changing room, you know, just our whole persona, just incredible. So yes, yeah, statistically, I can see why she maybe not got in there. But yeah, listen, I would I would like to feel that team on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon for Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Glad to hear. Glad to hear. Uh, Pat, what 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 did you think of I this? I think what's interesting is it, it shows once again that data it's providing uh, great analysis. So it's no no question about that. I still think I was uh, the the German defender Hegrin. He I think she was brilliant as well. Uh, that's but you can always find players. But uh, she, she surprised me a lot uh, actually. Um, I think she was extremely uh, good one to one. Yeah, I, I, I mean, a lot of uh, centre backs did very good uh, in this tournament. But I'm sure, Jesper, that we will have a lot of comments and engagement on this eleven when we put it out on on our social medias next. Uh, uh, yeah, definitely. And it's really close. I know that, like Hegring, for example, she's like the centre back number three. She was in the so she's just out. And then uh, Gwyn, that played on the right uh, back, she's also like just outside. And I think she was in UFS eleven. And uh, Mary Earps was goalkeeper two or three. So like it's really close. But yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> let's make the best eleven of their pitch and the playmaker. The final words of this uh, Euro special Their Pitch podcast. Um, thank you, Per, for joining us today. It was very interesting. Um, have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, and Willie, are you going to go play golf now? No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm, I'm working now. I'm a working man <laughs> yeah, now. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. That, was, that was last week. <laughs> yeah, um, just gonna say to all of those who listens before we say uh, goodbye that we will be back with uh, this is the Willie Kirk episode of their pitch. We're gonna talk everything Willie Kirk. It's gonna be very interesting. So now you can go. That's fine. Bye bye. Okay. Uh, bye. Good to speak to you. Um, Jesper, thank you also for joining in. Uh, always a pleasure. Yeah, always a pleasure being here. Thank you. And with that, we say end of this episode. Uh, I never get the right words out when I'm going to end an episode, but it's it's the genuine Swinglish in me that comes out. So um, don't forget to subscribe and tell us what you think of this podcast because you are great, um, every single one of you that support us. And keep doing it because... We need it.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.